Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum, celebrating 18 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders in rolling out zero trust architecture strategies and technologies. With me on today's show are Wayne Rogers, Zero Trust Lead Department of Education, Shane Barney, Chief Information Security Officer, USCIS, Chi Kang, Deputy Director for Cyber Operations at NOAA, Campbell Palmer, Senior Director, Solutions Architecture, Lumen Technologies, John, break, break, John Vorjak, Chief Technology Officer, North America Public Sector, Red Hat, and Eric Trexler, Senior Vice President, U.S. Public Sector, Palo Alto Networks. Well, it's been a couple of years since the cyber executive order came out, and I think it's been a year and a half since the Zero Trust Architecture guidance came out from OMB. And, uh, you know, usually that's enough time to get your strategy together, maybe get a little bit of funding together, well on your way to execution. Shane, you've been uh, uh, shooting this out of a cannon for two to three years. Give us the state of the state of where you all are in regards to Zero Trust Architecture. Oh, we're done, of course. I know, we're not even close. Good afternoon, Luke, and thanks for having me on the show today. I'm really excited to be here. Um, you know, we, we actually, oddly enough, USCIS by accident mostly uh, started down our Zero Trust journey in Toronto 2016 or so. Mm -hmm. um, and referred to it as Zero Trust for a number of different reasons, primarily because I really don't like the term, but we as a cloud-heavy organization quickly recognized some of the value that cloud offered us in terms of what, what we could do from a security front. Um, and, and begin implementing much of the technologies that go into play, especially some of the core technologies and the key aspects that you're going to need to even begin down your zero trust journey. Um, and so we started down that doing that early on. Um, you know, we got single sign on right. We got that 100% across the board. We, we got role based access right. We got that done 100% across the board. Um, and we had all these things in place. We, we got our, our secrets management solution in place. We began automating our certificates. Um, we begin, you know, the security program, we begin heavily investing in automation um, and, and big data sort of sort of solution. And, and so all these things were sort of pre-zero trustee things that you need to have been have done before you begin tackling these big pillars. Um, and, and so when the, when the order dropped, one, it wasn't terribly out of line from where we were already heading. So that was useful. Um, but that being said, we weren't, there are aspects of it that we are still going to be working at and going to be working at for some time. But I think for, you know, in terms of where we are today and where we're working towards, um, you know, I, I think from much of the, the, the networking pillar and, and, the, and the data and the, data pillar, the user pillar, identity pillars, um, you know, we are well on our way there. Um, in many ways, uh, we, we will easily meet the, the 2024 date, date dates. Um, but, you know, in other areas, we're going to be like many agencies, you know, still kind of trying to push that envelope and trying to figure it out. Um, data in particular is going to be a particular challenge for, I think, for everybody, but for USCIS in particular, given the volume of data we're talking about in the forever changing landscape of immigration. So, you know, you add all that together and, you know, I think we're in a good place. Um, I wish we were further along. I wish we had more resources. I wish we had more funding, but I think that's a wish that goes across the board. Sure. And uh, you just learn to, to manage those risks, right? And I think you Absolutely. all have done a splendid job with that. So thank you for that outline. Chi, uh, Noah certainly recognized as a, has a very tight cyber operation. So uh, hats off to you all for that. Give us a state of the state of where you all are on your zero trust architecture journey. Um, good morning. Um, thanks for having me on the uh, on the call here today. 
Um, you know, similar to Shane, uh, you know, I think a lot of the things that are identified in the zero trust strategy by the OMB directive, these are not new things. These are mostly good IT and IT security practices. So I think a lot of organization has already been down towards that journey. It's just now being brought under this one umbrella and really being categorized as a set of initiatives. So similar to Shane, um, you know, NOAA started a single sign-on journey, right, um, to make sure that we had um, phishing-resistant um, MFA across the board. Um, you know, there are challenges here at NOAA because we have combination of federal um, employees, associates, but we also have commissioned officer as well as foreign nationals uh, that are within our ecosystem. So mm -hmm. things like uh, typical CAC is not a, a, a end-all, be-all solution for us. So we have to make sure our identity solutions are vital, uh, token compliant, et cetera. But nonetheless, right, focusing on the identity pillar. And some of the uh, previous initiatives, right, uh, CDM phase one really uh, addresses the devices with now some caveat changes. Uh, identity pillar, CDM phase two, uh, they used to call it, right? Uh, so we have already kind of started down that journey. A lot of the stuff under the network area, previous directives, either it be 1801 for encrypting HTTPS traffic, or it be uh, some of the previous E3A type mandate for uh, some of the strategies organization has for consolidating DNS queries uh, for uh, doing encrypted DNS. So uh, NOAA's been in a situation where we've adopted all of these previous directives and you know done so uh, with some rigor. And what that has allowed us to do is when you know M2209 drop, we're like, well, a lot of these really match up to previous initiative, but there are tweaks that needs to be had. So um, from our perspective, um, you know, a lot of the mandates that are in the directive, you know, we feel pretty comfortable with. And a lot of the areas, we've already made a ton of progress, but it is a little bit of tweaking that we have to do in the previous roadmap that's been established. So here at NOAA, we've been really looking at um, the current roadmap that all these programs and uh, service providers and enterprise service providers within NOAA and what has to be tweaked to align to M2209. And uh, some areas are uh, relatively small gaps but some areas are definitely a little bit larger. And as Shane mentioned, data pillar is probably one of the uh, most challenging ones because even though a lot of the government organization has a CUI policy um, you know, uh, within their organization in the last mm -hmm. two years, uh, some of the technologies associated with things like automated data categorization, et cetera, it's, it's um, in, in, in theory, right? They, they, they're supposed to work, but in practice, there's a lot of false positives and uh, there's some challenges there. But, some of the emerging technologies and machine learning, right? Um, hoping that that would aid in that area, but um, similar to uh, Shane's organization, uh, we see that being one of the more uh, challenging pillars, given that there hasn't been previous as many previous initiatives that we could rely on. Yeah, you know, a lot of uh, uh, sort of uh, blocking and tackling and stacking up uh, to to get to the point where you can even start to really focus on the data pillar. So uh, to me, that's just a, a signal of, of maturity across the ecosystem. So hats off to you for the implementation. Campbell, let's talk about Lumen Technologies and where you all fit into this ecosystem and give us a state of the state about what are you seeing across the sector? Thanks, Luke. I appreciate the question. So it's, it's very interesting. If you come back from the Lumen history, We've been part of multiple government agencies providing MPLS networks, really focusing on that castle and moat topology, the legacy services of security on the outside. Your network itself is trusted, and there shouldn't that, be. That's any how we all know and love you. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, 
We're recognizing the shift in the landscape and certainly the zero trust architecture that's been put forward through the NIST 800-27 framework, we had to pivot. And being a network backbone service provider, it's ultimately recognizing that we have a lot of value to bring to the zero trust architecture overall, but there's no endpoint and there's no end device solution for every single agency. So we're there to help support and deliver those capabilities. So from Lumen's perspective, we're one of the world's largest internet service providers, and we have our internet service network that's integrated with our Black Lotus Labs platform that actually allows us to capture zero-day uh, security vulnerabilities that we can ultimately incorporate into our security operations teams to be able to communicate any type of incidents that take place inside of a particular agency. We also offer a, a framework for our, an acquisition strategy to obtain zero trust architecture frameworks using the EIS contract, leveraging Black Lotus Labs, our security operations team, our partners that can help build out those policy enforcement points, and then fully integrated with our security operations team, where we have a SIM and store function that at least allows some level of automation for those endpoint devices. It's key, though, as part of zero trust to be, in, be, be certain that you have strong authentication, that you have identity management. And that's where we're going to be partnering with a lot of our other par that, um, partners in the marketplace to ensure that we have that capability to bring that all-encompassing offer. And again, our goal is to make sure that we have that acquisition approach, that we can provide a fully managed service offering. Ultimately, agency CISOs have the responsibility of delivering that authority to operate to their agency. Part of the Lumen portfolio is offering managed services support that would aid the agency CISOs in the development of the system security plan and documentation to allow for that zero trust framework to be adopted into that agency's portfolio. Nice little catch on the EIS too. I like that. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a, could be a nice easy button for a lot of these agencies. John, Red Hat has been a staple here in the modernization and a modern way of these environments. Give us a state of the state of where you all fit into the zero trust architecture framework. Yeah, thank you for the question. And uh, you know, going back to what was just stated, there's uh, there's not a single solution for all the problems that we're facing with zero trust. And uh, certainly, we understand that at Red Hat, a uh, big a big focus for us uh, in the in the past couple of years has been working with our ecosystem partners and to ensure that everything that we're providing in terms of platforms around OpenShift, our Kubernetes platform, Ansible, our automation platform. Uh, is compatible and works well with with our with our partners. Uh, so we we like to say like we're sort of the uh, the neutral uh, vendor that that works works with everybody and from a platform perspective. A couple of things we've been doing. Um, we've long focused on sort of providing hard and open source solutions uh, for customers. And um, so for us now, like sort of the pivot or the the focus refocus for us is, is spending more time on improving tools, providing enablement and onboarding solutions for customers. And, and generally improving the user experience around our products in a way that that makes um, understanding how uh, what what customers are doing around zero trust is is really obvious to them. So, uh, so for example, we've focused heavily recently on improving our network automation modules within our Ansible automation platform, uh, which I which I mentioned is our enterprise automation solution to handle more zero trust use cases. Um, and particularly around managing policy enforcement points across the network, mm. uh, across the enterprise and in data collection. So it's a big part of um, when we first work with a customer, like understanding what you have, where is it, what, what's the state of your, your network. Um, so there's a lot of data collection uh, that we, we focus on. Another thing we focused on, uh, we have a product that we recently incorporated into um, Red Hat a couple of years ago with the purchase of StackRocks. Uh, we call it the OpenShift Advanced Cluster Security for Kubernetes or ACS. And this is a um, product that allows you to securely build, deploy, and uh, run cloud-native applications on any Kubernetes platform. Uh, so recently, around 
Zero Trust, we updated the ACS Network Policy Analyzer, which provides assistant to, uh, assistive tools uh, to implement policies and application level network segmentation and least privilege. And the goals around this is to make the product more and more aligned with, with uh, the de detailed requirements of, of Zero Trust. Um, like, I think a lot of people was mentioning, you know, we've been here, we've understood for, you know, maybe 20 years that we have to move in this direction um, uh, of, of Zero Trust, but it's been in the last few years that we've got that guidance that, that helps us sort of tweak our solutions and, and move customers forward. Sure, a lot of pieces and parts out there. I always like to remind everyone of architecture and the Zero Trust architecture. It is an architecture and uh, these pieces uh, snap into place, um, uh, many of which have been uh, pursued and implemented along the way has been described here. Eric, uh, Palo Alto, you all are right in the catbird seat here. You're right in the middle of all this. Give us the state of the state of what you're seeing out there in regards to the implementation of this architecture across the sector. Sure, look, we've been we've been involved with Zero Trust since the beginnings of 2010 timeframe, delivering capabilities to customers to help them out from a zero, with their Zero Trust architectures. I think the first thing we need to get down is when we're talking to customers, what are they looking at from an architecture perspective? How are they thinking about Zero Trust? We still see customers coming to us asking for our Zero Trust product, and it doesn't work that way. We still see cu customers turning Zero Trust into a verb and saying they want a Zero Trust something. So it's really about driving to what are the outcomes you're looking to gain? What are you trying to get? And, and there is no one fit all solution. We're the largest security company in the world, and we can't meet all of your requirements. The DOD has 152 activities they look at. 20 of them are policy, procedure, services. You know, the remaining 132, even as the largest company doing cybersecurity in the world, we meet 118. So this is a whole of world problem. We need to sit down with our customers. We need to work with them and we need to help them out. We're doing that in, in the Zero Trust network access areas. We're doing it at the endpoint. We're doing it through SOC automation, but it really comes down to what are you trying to accomplish and where do you want to start and where would you like to end up? But this is a journey. This is not something where you can just set your Zero Trust outcome and achieve it overnight. It's not a zero trust me type of environment. It is a journey. It is a framework. It is an architecture. Chi, um, I want to go back to you and talk about a specific program. You top lined a lot of different activities over there. And I know there's a whole bunch of pieces and parts and pillars that have been implemented along the way. Do you want to give us a, a highlight one program, one piece of this thing that you'd like to shine the light on and describe to our listening audience? Well, um, I guess it's a little bit of a difficult question because take I take your I, pick. <laughs> but um, what I will say is um, that Noah had uh, invested a invested in a um, a TICAP program back in uh, 2012, um, and uh, when the original original TIC iteration of TIC 1.0 came up, um, you know, we decided as an organization not to take part in an MTIP solution, but actually uh, build our own TIC solution. And, uh, you know, when TIC 2.0 or TCV validation thing was a thing at DHS, um, NOAA in 2017 uh, was um, certified as a multi-agency TIC provider. And uh, we actually currently provide uh, network perimeter security services for uh, 11 of the 13 bureaus within Department of Commerce and Center of Excellence um, um, within the department. And that, you know, has definitely uh, in the past has uh, definitely allowed us to make other investments given the cost savings that we've been able to achieve internally as well as with our partners within our bureaus within Department of Commerce. But 
one of the things about the NOAA TICAP program is that as it transitions to the TIC 3.0 and it's no longer network centric about uh, where these policy enforcement points live, you know, uh, Campbell from Lumen, you know, mentioned about, um, you know, uh, there, there's no one solution, right? Um, and we have to pivot about if you are on the network perimeter security as a program, we also have to pivot and make sure that we're partnering with different service providers within NOAA, as well as within the department to, as a culmination, meet all the policy enforcement points that reside um, uh, to protect, protect our data as well as protect our mission. So one of the things are, um, it's not one of the exact pillars within the Zero Trust framework, but what our NOAA TICAP program has been able to do is that that program, because it already has a lot of partners as service providers for those policy enforcement points, we've been able to use that program as well as identifying the service providers about what they need to um, accomplish as well as what they need to change to specifically address some of the directives within the uh, Zero Trust framework that OMB has outlined as well as DHS has outlined. So, um, you know, the uh, one, of, one of the biggest thing I think for NOAA um, is that, you know, we have, we have a lot of different providers. Um, identities provided by an organization, our email cloud, collaboration platform is provided by a different organization and cyber kind of cr crisscrosses all of these, right? And um, having the NOAA TICAP program um, in, in the early evolution from TIC 2.0 and then to 3.0 and now leveraging TIC 3.0 type policy enforcement point to lean into some of the pillars within the zero trust has been really beneficial because it, it's not only are we able to identify what our strategic outlook is, but tactically we already have those relationships to make those pivots and make those strategic alignments. So um, you know, that's been an area that's been a really a good success for us because I think one of the things is when you see identities pillars within an organization, they're wondering who should provide or who needs to change to provide this service. And um, for us, it's been a lot more obvious because we already have those partners that identified and we already have those relationships with those partners. Yeah, no doubt you have this checkered environment that you're working in, very complex. Didn't realize you had foreign nationals on your environment. So snapping these things into this framework, this architecture really crystallizes the, the journey that you all are on. So appreciate the, uh, uh, the highlighting of that program. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. The U.S. government demands performance, transparency, and value, exactly what Red Hat and open source offer. Red Hat is the standard choice for Linux in governments worldwide. Our cloud virtualization, storage platform, and service-oriented solutions bring real freedom and collaboration to federal, state, local, and academic programs. Bring the power of open source and build a foundation for zero trust in Linux environments. Learn more at redhat.com government. As agencies prepare for the upcoming federal procurement cycle, we understand the competing priorities you're faced with. Whether you're implementing new security initiatives like Zero Trust, looking to boost productivity, or driving overall innovation, you need a trusted partner to help you build solutions that meet the mission, comply with federal mandates, and integrate seamlessly. Lumen can help streamline your digital transformation journey with the right solutions. Available on the EIS contract. Visit lumen.com slash EIS to get started. Is your federal agency on the path to success with Zero Trust? Join us to learn why federal agencies trust Palo Alto Networks to support their Zero Trust journey with cutting-edge technology and industry-leading expertise. 
Palo Alto Network's Senior VP of Public Sector, Eric Trexler, will share strategies and best practices you can use to protect the government's mission in civilian and defense operating environments while accelerating your transition to zero trust. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about zero trust architecture. We're just getting into specific programs. And John, I wanted to give you an opportunity to highlight a specific program that uh, Red Hat is uh, in the middle of, maybe perhaps working with an agency, maybe working with many of the agencies. Sure, and working with many of the agencies is, is the case. Um, one thing we've uh, recognized working with agencies is they're all starting in a different place. And when you think about the zero trust pillars themselves uh, in this this idea of this, this graduation between traditional, you know, what what you generally saw in, in networks over the last 20 years to initial to advanced to optimal these these states that says came up with um they all start in different places so they might be they might be more advanced in identity but as we mentioned really not advanced in data so what we've been trying to work on a lot with customers is coming up with reusable sort of validated patterns reference architectures where they can get started faster they can kind of gauge where they are and then figure out where they need to go so without a specific program, a number of these programs that we've seen is interesting is the ability to just sit there and, and assess where you are, figure out a path forward, and, and then and use these validated patterns. Um, so we've we've done some things um, uh, to help people move along a little bit faster. So in the Kubernetes world, uh, in the Kubernetes environments, taking advantages of attribute-based access controls, um, improving automation, improving software development pipelines to incorporate better gate controls in, in, in software. Uh, these are the kinds of things that that we're seeing are are, are getting some some early uh, adoption. Um, now, it's not possible to implement a sustain or sustain zero trust uh, architecture without a liberal application of automation. Uh, so, big part of what we've seen is um, uh, the, the successes is those who are embracing automation early on recognize that this is not a thing. We're going to have a bunch of humans making decisions at at policy. Um, enforcement points that we need automation to, to handle those things. Um, that's where we've seen success a little bit faster. So embracing that understanding and also recognizing that you don't need to rip and replace everything. And, and that's really not even realistic. What we're seeing is using the existing controls that are in the network and that are provided by many vendors today. Some of those may not be easily managed uh, centrally, but there's ways through automation uh, to uh, to 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 control those policy enforcement points, even though, you know, let's say they're they're 10, 12, 20 years old mm -hmm. um, to get to get some value uh, within the network and, and get you know step towards zero trust. Uh, we'd love it to have greenfield scenarios where we can snap our fingers and just start over, but that's mm -hmm. not the reality. So um, sure. we've seen a lot of sort of that recognition of, hey, what do I got today <clears throat> that I can use today? Um, what are ways that I can um, uh, improve those, improve on that environment without having a huge spend? I need to do something kind of quick. So those are the kinds of uh, where, where I see the the light bulb go off and the and the, the happier customer are those who are recognizing that there's a there's a path forward that doesn't involve um you know uh, starting from scratch um sure and 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 all of these environments it's sort of a lego block type of uh, uh situation and i applaud all the uh the suppliers here for uh making sure that these things can snap together fairly seamlessly and not be uh painful in regards to the implementation of this eric you talked about this very issue right there's no one magical way to do this. It's all hands on deck. Give us an example of that, if you would. Yeah, so we've got a, an organization with several hundred thousand employees. They were using nine separate major security solutions across six vendors, and that's abnormal. Normally, you'll see somewhere upwards of 30 into the hundreds of security 
vendors that customers are using. And they were using our Prism Access solution. We delivered them capability, user access from anywhere, higher level of security, any device, any application. We're controlling the data. One platform, all of the benefits. We're seeing more and more large enterprises go in that direction. This is an area where the commercial space is clearly uh, lapping the federal government many times because of size and scale challenges, legacy challenges, and the sheer number of, of products out there. So, John, I'm with you. Automation, we don't have enough people. You know, there's somewhere 500 to 700,000 people in America alone or, or jobs where we're short. We can't do it with just throwing human capital at the problem because it doesn't exist. We've got to drive on automation. We believe strongly at Palo Alto Networks that consolidation is a key also. The, the government and our commercial customers, I don't care if it's state, local education, federal level government, U.S., global or enterprise commercial, it doesn't matter. Customers are not good at integration. And what we end up playing is Jenga with security. At some point, it just all falls down, right? So we've got to consolidate, get fewer vendors, better integration, fewer contracts, less training for our people. We've got to integrate our people. We're seeing movements, but it's not fast enough in that direction. So we're driving hard. And, and there is no one vendor, including Palo Alto Networks, that can solve all of their problems. John mentioned identity. Identity is the key first phase. We don't even play in that space. We, we do, but through partners. So we've got to all work together, but we, we believe in consolidation and bringing it together. One of the benefits that we're observing in the space is we bring artificial intelligence to bear. Once you understand the data sets, it is much easier to apply artificial intelligence to security problems. When you have a customer that is trying to link together 50 different security solutions, it is impossible for any vendor to apply artificial intelligence against those problems. We just don't understand the data. We don't have normalization and rationalization of data. So there's some benefits to the consolidation in addition to higher security efficacy. Consolidate, simplify, makes a lot of sense and a good catch on the AI aspect of that as well. Shane, every time we look, you all are two and a half miles ahead of the majority of the agencies, I would say. Um, can you give us a state of the state and uh, perhaps maybe a specific program that you'd like to highlight inside of this architecture framework that you all are pursuing? Yeah, um, well, you know, I'm glad we mentioned AI because we, we can't go over at least five minutes without mentioning AI recently, it seems. And we need another audit or two on AI as well. Um, I'm joking, please, no more audits. The, I think that, you know, we've done a, a number of things really quite right. Um, sometimes by accident, sometimes on purpose. Um, but, you know, whether, whether I think one of the things early on that the USCIS got right was giving the CISO, I, I can't, the I can't program, I, I mm -hmm. as a own identity. Um, that enabled us to do things that, that really was very difficult for other organizations to do. But I think if I was really to highlight something that I think we've been wildly successful at, um, and it's been touched on by, by several people here already, is, is the importance of automation. Um, we quickly realized um, early on, and actually, you know, you were DHS's CIO during some of this, when we had our first real kind of big cloud incident. And, and it, was, it was really a matter of us not fully understanding how to operate in the cloud as much as it wasn't really much of an incident at all in the end. But what it did teach us is the value of, of automation uh, and the importance of what it is, and not just for the developers. Um, you know, what we quickly learned that if the developers are able to do things via programming, so can we. Um, and it was really our first foray in, in kind of exploration of security automation, as it were. Um, and it was very, we were very new to it. And in fact, in 2015, when we first started deploying some of the solutions around it, honestly, we failed the first three times we did it. 
Um, I can tell you three very distinct ways not, how not to do it. Um, but you know, kind of we'll say that for the lessons learned. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and, and you know, but we ultimately we kind of you know one of the things that with security programming we have done is sort of developed we kind of adopted the, the agile mindset where failure is not failure, failure is learning, and, and you learn, you move on, you learn, you move on. Um, and so we took from that, we learned, and we took from the next failure, and we learned, and we, and we got it right. And, I, and then we went. The other thing we decided to do is because it was we were automating specific tasks. These were tasks that were that were manual to begin with, and now we we're going to automate them. We knew how much time manually those tasks take, and approximately how much it costs us to run those manual tasks because it had dollar value to it. And, and so every time we would execute one of these automations, we could actually tell you the dollar value of that, the value of it. It you know it's not really a one for one kind of ratio, but it did give us an indicator of sort of a return on investment. And I think in the first year that we were somewhat successful at automation, I think we, we managed to save like $600,000 from it. That we thought we were the coolest things in sliced bread. Um, I think right now we're on track to do closer to 20 million this year. Uh, you know, we've gotten very, very, very successful at it. Um, and, and so much so that we begin looking at security very differently. Um, for, you know, if you are going to offer in the cloud and your infrastructure is code, that also means your security is code too. And, and so, you know, we started changing the actual nature of our workforce. Um, you know, you go into my SOC and there's, there's, there are SOC analysts and security analysts and threat hunters and all the normal sort of SOC kind of people you'd have as well as the development team. And because every cloud incident I've ever worked involves development. Um, you know, so we started also looking across the spectrum of what I owned as a CISO in terms of, of operationally and, and what, what really was of value for us to automate. So we started looking at things like secrets management, automating the ability of, for us to do that. Um, we looked at certificates and, and said, well, you know, that, that too should be automated. Why are we doing manual certificates like we, in the past? You know, we were doing all these, these automations primarily because one, we could get the ability to do it, but more importantly, it means good sense from a security practice because you could remove the human out of the equation. Um, several people have said that already. Um, humans are dangerous animals and we all know that. And, and so being able to, to automate those, those features, we, we become you know, we started also looking at things like API security, you know, all, all cloud, all, everything cloud is API driven. Um, being able to secure your API interface was, was critical for us and automating that security was even more so. Um, and then finally, we really started looking heavily at our data intake. Um, when we were primarily our on-prem organization, you know, we probably took in a half a terabyte worth of log data a year. It fairly, it stayed fairly static. It never really changed. Um, the minute we start jumping into the cloud, that the, the amount of logs that we are ingesting start going up exponentially. Mm. Uh, pretty sure by this time next year we'll be in the neighborhood of 20 terabytes in a day. Um, that's well beyond human capabilities. Um, this is where automation becomes your friend. Um, but we also started realizing that you know a lot of times when we talk about automation, we talk about SOC automation. Um, automation, from my from my perspective, and I think this is where we've gotten very successful as well, is applying it beyond just the SOC. Um, this includes risk management, this includes governance and even policy. Um, and, and so we are now looking at how do we automate documentation? I, I can't, it drives me absolutely back crazy that I have people filling out documentation. I just, I, I can't handle that. Um, when, when in fact, we can probably automate vast portions of that. How do we automate a lot of our risk management, our ongoing authorization program? And, and really, you know, I, I, to tell my team all the, all the time, I'm after the ATO in a day, you know, during, um, you know, that, I think these things are possible. They're very doable. And, and I see, the application of the automation program that we put in place as sort of really, you know, just sort of chinking away at how we do that. Um, and we, and, and like I said, I think the USCIS has really kind of blazed the path in this way, uh, so much so that, you know, one of the things I'm always saying to CISO Council and DHS is, you know, if, you, if you're putting out new security contracts and they don't have development teams built into it, you're probably doing something wrong. 
Um, good catch. They are so critical to your operation. Yeah, it's a good catch there. And 20 million is a real number. And uh, yes, human beings, a precious commodity. So very interesting aspects of what you're automating there. ATO in a day is a dream. Uh, continuous monitoring also a very important aspect of this. Campbell, Lumen Technologies. Give us an example of a program that you'd like to highlight in regards to the ZTA. Uh, that's a great one. So I, I have to commend a few different agencies that we're working with on their recognition that it's time to adopt and, and transform. <clears throat> Some agencies are a little bit more risk averse than others. And I think that CISOs and CIOs are constantly balancing that management of risk with network transformation and figuring out a path where you can develop parallels and try to avoid a lot of the congruencies that you see between those two. I think of secure access, service, service edge. I think of SD-WAN integration into an agency topology as they're moving away from legacy networks such as MPLS and moving forward into internet bound environments that you still need to main, manage and maintain that risk framework and the, the integration of our TIC infrastructure, the trusted inter, internet connection infrastructure, where they have the policy enforcement points associated with that. Several agencies we're seeing as they're moving from one contract to another, they're taking that adoption opportunity to bring in new tech capabilities and new technologies, leveraging the benefits of partners such as Palo Alto, integrating into a network service provider such as Lumen, and being able to get the benefits and the economies of scale to really build out that zero trust framework. I think it's fair to say that malware, malware attacks are here to stay, and they're going to be constant. We're all likely to undergo some type of exploitative event inside of the agency or your organization. The bad actors are prevalent, and they're ever-evolving. It's the only way that we can really focus on recognizing that we're going to have bad events, events that are going to take place. So build up a framework and a policy that includes that DR and coop capability to mitigate those zero-day events. Work with your vendors and your, and your partners to allow for an understanding of that policy adoption to in incorporate security event monitoring, automation of the, the, the um, application um, integration that, that takes place to ensure that we are able to manage the downtime, minimize the impacts, and recognize that you're constantly going to be under attack. So work with and partner with your vendors and your, your customers um, in order to ensure that that you're, you're building out the, the right architecture. So I do wanna commend a lot of the agencies that we're working with as they're moving forward to that zero trust architecture, moving into that world of identity management. You have human and non-human entities. Machine learning is certainly ever, ever prevalent and that machine to machine interaction is gonna be constant. And so building out the APIs and the enforcement points and being able to incorporate that into the security domain while recognizing that there's constant attack coming in from the outside, managing those attacks, recognizing the overall risk posture associated with that, and then developing that policy optimization through governance and compliance will be a huge um, benefit to, to how agencies are be able to be successful. So we have a few that we've been working with as they're going through that transformation from that legacy MPLS environment over to internet. We really want to commend them on that adoption of that zero trust framework that they're incorporating into their overall framework as they're moving to SD-WAN, secure access service edge. Well said, and uh, appreciate that uh, that sort of that migration path that we're talking about there. Uh, let's talk about priorities. Eric, I'm going to ask you to give top priority that you all are focused on at Palo Alto this year. Already mentioned it, consolidation and securing our customers, helping them consolidate their infrastructure to uh, drive up security efficacy. You look at a program like the DISA Thunderdome program, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a large replacement, not, not everything, for the joint regional security stacks that are reported to have cost billions of dollars for the government, never reached their full potential, mm -hmm. lower cost, higher reliability, 
much better on the latency, uh, multi-tenancy capability. Users can access Nippernet from anywhere, any device, all of their applications. That's a great thing for the government. So we're spending a lot of time helping bring our customers into the modern era. I think COVID taught us a lot. It accelerated a lot of programs for our customers, but consolidation is my answer. We're going to help them reduce the complexity, simplify and secure and, and, and uh, streamline their, their, their security frameworks and uh, achieve the goals of the future. I think as Campbell said, like the adversary is not slowing down. They're speeding up. I mean, it's getting worse and worse and worse. We've got to simplify and streamline. Consolidate, simplify, secure. We really do appreciate that. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. The U.S. government demands performance, transparency, and value, exactly what Red Hat and open source offer. Red Hat is the standard choice for Linux in governments worldwide. Our cloud virtualization, storage, platform, and service-oriented solutions bring real freedom and collaboration to federal, state, local, and academic programs. Bring the power of open source and build a foundation for zero trust in Linux environments. Learn more at redhat.com slash government. Is your federal agency on the path to success with zero trust? Join us to learn why federal agencies trust Palo Alto Networks to support their zero trust journey with cutting-edge technology and industry-leading expertise. Palo Alto Networks Senior VP of Public Sector Eric Trexler will share strategies and best practices you can use to protect the government's mission in civilian and defense operating environments while accelerating your transition to zero trust. As agencies prepare for the upcoming federal procurement cycle, we understand the competing priorities you're faced with. Whether you're implementing new security initiatives like Zero Trust, looking to boost productivity, or driving overall innovation, you need a trusted partner to help you build solutions that meet the mission, comply with federal mandates, and integrate seamlessly. Lumen can help streamline your digital transformation journey with the right solutions available on the EIS contract. Visit lumen.com slash EIS to get started. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about zero trust architecture. We were specifically talking about priorities. Chi, top priority for you at NOAA. Um, for us, workforce development, uh, attracting the best talent in the industry, right? We're all fighting for the, uh, the same pool. Um, and in order to do that, right, we need to have some things lined up in order to be able to attract the, the best talent. Shane mentioned about making sure you have development teams in your SOC, uh, making sure that those uh, outlets exist, making sure that we have automations for some of the benign and mundane tasks and the intrusion analysts or um, instant response handlers that we have are doing higher analytics or more in deep research, uh, doing thread hunting, right? So part of it is having the cool toys, the technologies, but also part of it is having a certain level of maturity because if you're trying to attract the best talents within the federal government as well as within industry, you have to make sure that you have the technologies, the product. The, you don't want to, people don't want to be experts on tools that are outdated. They want to be experts in tools, emerging technologies. And in order to make sure that we're attracting the best talents, we want to make sure we're doing combination of things so that, uh, uh, we have the right skill set for us to um, really implement some of the things that we want to do in our strategy. Talent, always a priority. The right talent, number one priority. John, Red Hat, top priority for you all this year on this topic. 
Yeah, so heavy, heavy collaboration with our ecosystem community uh, to ensure that zero trust solutions work well together. Um, we're really passionate about this. This, uh, as we mentioned many times, it, it takes a village and then some to implement zero trust. And um, it's not a, as we've said, it's not a single vendor solution. Uh, so as platform providers of, of Linux, of Kubernetes environments, of uh, automation, um, we want to make sure that these great products that are out there uh, are compatible with, with our environments that, that exist throughout the uh, federal government. Uh, to that end, we're doing um, a number, we've, we've over the last year done a number of these uh, sort of uh, government and industry uh, programs to prove out uh, zero trust. Uh, for example, there's the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, ATARC. Um, a number of vendors are, are working together um, through ATARC and phase two right now, which is um, uh, a program to, to bring together multiple vendors and build solutions uh, with, with government agencies, build solutions that work together and we can show that they work together. So this is not the time to divide and conquer and, and do different things and, and build walls uh, around our products. Just like with Zero Trust, we got to take down the walls and, and figure out the gates, you know, how we're going to work together, how we're going to communicate, how we're going to allow telemetry information to move from one uh, solution to another and and understand that we're we're not here to control the data um, uh, and own that data within product we need to make sure the customer has control um, so that's a big that's a big focus for us it's a lot of additional time it's um, you know so you got your own product development uh, life cycles that you're working on within each vendor but then you're trying to figure out you know okay I've got to spend a, a, a very, you know, a good decent amount of time making sure that I'm remain compatible and and uh, remain open. So open standards, um, uh, bring in more open source. These are the things mm -hmm. that Red Hat's so focused on. It's all hands on deck, no question about that. Shane, top priority for you this year? Um, actually, it's an easy one. Um, most of my teams and happiness right now, actually. Uh, I, you know, I've always driven, I've always advocated for more of a data-driven approach to security, um, and zero trust is is no different. Uh, and so, one of the things, and this is actually stemming out of the work that we've done on the automation front, um, what we're seeing now is sort of we're bumping up into the limitations of what the tool sets that are out there are that can provide us um, in, in, in in a number of different ways. And so when we started really looking at the problem of what we were faced with, we realized that really what we needed to do is sort of re-architect re, re the entire data approach that we have to security. So this year we're driving toward more of the, more of the uh, security lake concept, something Amazon has been, has been advocating for, but I've been seeing in other vendors as well, um, and driving towards more open source framework standards. And the one we're going to center around is actually the open cybersecurity framework. Um, I think it's one of the best ones out there running right now. It, it is it is largely encompassing of, of not just a SOC, which is the tendency in security automation world. This encompasses the security program at large. Um, not only that, it has the flexibility to accommodate the customizations that we're after. Um, and, and then in driving that, that requirement fundamentally with all of our tool providers, that they have to meet this framework standard, that they have to be able to provide us their data. Um, one of the things that we are seeing, and this is true of all of the attacks, you know, since solar winds and, and probably pre that, um, is the type of attacks that we are looking for are very subtle. Um, they're hidden deep within the infrastructure. Um, they're, they're, they are very non-normal events. They are a tiny little blip on the bell curve that no human being could ever see. And, and in fact, a lot of machine learning would be have a hard time finding. We're not going to get there unless we begin getting a, a handle on how we ingest that data and how we understand the data. 
as I mentioned before, 20 terabytes of data in a day is way too much. Um, and, and even with some of the best tool sets out on the planet, you're still not going to be able to do a whole lot with that. Um, and, I, and I love that my, my friends from uh, Red Hat mentioned open source. I am the biggest advocate for open source. I think it's the best way to secure the environment. So part of our drive within the data-driven security plan is, go, is push the entire security program towards an open source model. We've already done that on the identity side. Our entire identity stack is, is built on open source software. Um, and in fact, the entire thing's Scott's. And so using that as sort of our base understanding of how to operate, we're actually going to do that across the board, both for risk and governance, automation of the ATO process, automation of documentation. Um, all these will build, be built on that standard and utilizing that, that open source framework. Uh, Amen on the uh, on the open source framework. Uh, we really do appreciate that uh, that uh, that doubling down on that. I think that uh, that is an end state solution makes sense. Campbell, top priority for Lumen. So from Lumen's perspective, Kate Johnson, our CEO, she calls it our North Star. It's our proprietary gift, and that's our network. Lumen's one of the world's largest internet service providers, making that network our proprietary gift. That focus in this upcoming year is that infrastructure build out, embedding the foundational elements such as securing our backbone using Black Lotus Labs, the security team that has the capability to monitor billions of network events that are taking place across our network every day. Mm -hmm. We're able to extend those capabilities out to ind individual agencies and institutions. And we want to be able to incorporate that capability alongside with other security posture and offerings such as distributed denial service mitigation, as well as taking that up to that application layer, extending that overall security framework out to our customers and agencies as we deliver those services to those endpoint users. Our real focus is on securing those endpoints, the agency and their customers branch offices, they're gonna have bring your own, bring your own device platforms and systems, being able to incorporate the best possible user experience, incorporating that into a zero trust model that allow the agency to meet that full compliance, while we're continuing to focus on security and performance, but in the end, it's about that end user experience. And our goal with that build out of our infrastructure is to make sure that we have the best possible end user experience that we can envision. Very important end user experience. Chi, number one lesson learned for you as you all have been um, on this journey. You know, uh, I was just listening to my colleagues and actually there was a number of things that I was just coming to my mind as I was thinking about uh, lessons learned here. Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, not to underestimate the cultural challenge of the organization with the things you're trying to accomplish uh, when it comes to uh, embarking on your digital trust journey and heading toward that North Star. Um, you know, it's uh, culture is uh, it, it could it could be it could help you, but it could also definitely uh, be problematic in on um, change within the organization. And I think really making sure that we educate the stakeholders, um, make sure that they're aware of what is going on and why it's gonna benefit them. And ultimately try to make sure that you're finding and identifying solution that not only meet your initiative, but also their requirements as well as things that they're wanting out of the, uh, the evolution. Sure. And uh, focusing on that end user experience is definitely key because you, know, you could go to an information system and say, hey, here's a mandate, but they're gonna be asking for, well, what's in it for me, right? And I think sure. it's making sure that you find those common ground that way we all win in that transformation. Gotta be uh gotta be a win-win. Shane, number one lesson learned as you all are driving hard, been driving hard. Top lesson learned you'd like to share with the audience. Um, I, I think if I was gonna say one thing, it was gonna be get the basics right. Um, there are a number of pre-sort of zero trust activities that you need to just have in place that need to be part of your overall, you know, your security stacks. 
um, and, and need to be there. This is this is obvious, the obvious ones like are like 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 identity, single sign on, multi-factor authentication, that sort of thing. But also make sure you have a lockdown on your API security. You're, you, man, you have secrets management in place. You're managing, you're automated your certificates. Um, all these things become critical to your journey on zero trust because they feed into almost all the solutions that you will deploy in support of your zero trust journey. Little hidden gremlins out there if you're not careful. Well, we Very have to uh, wrap it up here, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, two to three years from now. Eric, I want to start with you at Palo Alto. Fast forward. What does it look like? Uh, what's the demand signal out there? What are you all going to focus on over the course of the next two to three years? I'm really working with my teams to get out to our customers and drive outcome-based security to really understand how to cross that chasm between the CIO and the CISO and their, and their people that are executing. We respond to way too many RFQs, RFPs, where we haven't been able to help the customer and, and fully understand what they're trying to do other than buy products. So get in early, help them understand, help understand their security aspirations and really drive to outcome-based security. Fantastic. John, how about at Red Hat? If you look out two to three years, you top-lined a lot of things. What's going to be the focus two to three years from now? Well, I, I again, I'm kind of looking at it from a, a, a holistic perspective that we need to uh, where I think things should get to um, across industry, and that's uh, that we have more you know validated pa patterns and reference architectures for imp implementing ZTA that can be shared across agencies. Like I'm a I'm a former Fed. It's some of the hardest things to do is to find out what somebody else is doing in another agency, mm. and I think we're going to have to work towards uh, that better sharing of, of of that knowledge and information. I hope to see that. That would be like a, a hopeful scenario. We've got a clearinghouse for how we did it and how we did it well, and here's how to do it. So the so the agencies that are further ahead, like a CIS, can help some of the agencies that are a bit further behind. Um, and then, again, the vendor community working better together with open standards so that there isn't this sort of interoperability issues between solutions, I, I would hope to see that. I mean, that's certain something we push hard with community uh, uh, development approach at Red Hat. So I'd love to see that. And I do think we we touch a little bit on generative AI, but look, that's going to be a big part of what we're going to see in, in solutions uh, in the future where we're training um, on, on data that we trust, uh, that we're providing solutions that don't have, or answers that don't have a lot of randomness to them. Um, so that's kind of the difference between some of the, the big models and, and, and what you could see in a train model. And then the answers come back with the provenance of where the data came from. So here's your answer and here's where it came from. This is a trusted source. I think we're gonna see that across a lot of different solutions um, with respect to automation. Um, and it'll become a normal thing. Like we talk about it now and in two years from now, it'll just be the the, the normal thing that, that every, uh, almost every vendor has some kind of generative AI solution attached to their to their console. And I, I, I think I, we're I all uh, see that anywhere. We're certainly looking forward to that. And I think the, the open, open architecture, open standards that you're describing is absolutely the play. Campbell, Lumen, uh, you're working your way up the stack here. What are we going <laughs> to see Lumen doing two to three years from now? Where are you going to be? You know, the one thing that's constant in our world that is never unchanging is internet connectivity and traffic is always increasing exponentially every year. We're going to be continually investing in that network backbone. 
building up the capacity to be able to support the ever-growing application usage that's constantly taking place within agencies, within private sector. So the trick is going to be, how do you be, are you able to secure all of that network traffic as it's coming across your network? Integrating our security services through, again, Black Lotus Labs, DDoS mitigation, AI and machine learning are going to be absolutely critical to ensure that we're bringing and delivering that cleanest possible traffic to our end user agencies. So really, if you think about that, it, from a zero trust standpoint, it always starts with the network. And our focus is really going to be on building out that network capacity and then augmenting that network with our security services and capabilities to be able to deliver the best possible experience to our end users. Yeah, that uh, that plumbing is is absolutely important and it definitely starts there. And uh, if that's not strong, then uh, the rest of the foundation falls apart. She, uh, how about it, Noah, two to three years from now, you've got a lot of these pieces and parts in place. It sounds like you're tying them all together. What are you expecting? To, where are you expecting to be three years from now? Well, um, all done. Well, I'm hoping. I'm hoping with a uh, uh, a new integrator uh, th that uh, we have a new investment opportunity that's coming up in the next year. Um, ah, cyber okay. program and the operation. So, uh, right. new integrator that uh, is has the same type of risk tolerance when it comes to innovation as our organization. Um, uh, NOAA is a science, science organization. We have high time for innovation when it comes to science and making progress. We want to make sure that we are working with our industry partners, not only on their vendor side, but as well as the integration side, looking for that equal innovation. So hopefully that will translate to more leveraging of automation more than what we have today. Um, hopefully we'll start dabbling into um, you know, LLMs or uh, you know, AI type, type of situation when it comes to not only security automation, but um, IT automation, automation as IT operations, IT operations as well. So um, you know, definitely, uh, it, it's an exciting time for us because uh, you know we've made a lot of strides in the last five years, and we're really trying to hit that next level. And I think with some new opportunities with our uh, with um, whoever our new integrator may be, um, as well with the new investment opportunity, uh, really looking for uh, that large uh, you know leap in that progression. And when you say new integrator, I'm assuming that that's a new partner that you're bringing on board over the next year. Is that what you're describing? Uh, so we have a new solicitation that'll be going out um, in, the, ah, in, okay. in the in this in the next uh, 12 calendar months here, um, and uh, it's not to necessarily it's not a follow on to our existing opportunity within the cyber operation program. It's definitely a, a wider and broader scope of some of the more things that we want to be able to do. So, um, you know, we're excited for our industry partners. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't put this plug enough to say that, you know, we have a high tolerance for innovation and we want to make sure that our partners that are looking at that opportunity to really bring their A game and don't tell us what worked five years ago. Tell us what's going to be, you know, keep us at the cutting edge in the upcoming years. All right. You heard it. Chi, giving a call to arms to all the uh, partners out there. <laughs> Shane. As we described, you all are always two and a half miles in front of everyone. No and uh, two to three years from now, when we call you up and say, hey, Shane, can you come on the radio show? What are you going to tell us? Is it going to you going to send an avatar over here? Because you've yeah, it, it won't be me. What it'll be, we looking it'll at be here? avatar here. It'll be it'll be much prettier than I am, I'm sure. Um, you know, it, it's funny. There's two things I would love to see in two to three years. And, and oddly enough, they, they have something to do with zero trust and don't. One, I would love to see a better framework for how there a better framework for doing partnership between industry and, pub, and, and the public space. Um, and, and I'm talking about a true collaboration, uh, you know, not true partnership. 
um, not one that, that, that is driven by a contract per se, but one that's framed out in law that gives protections to the vendor side that, that ensures that they, they can come forward. Because I've often felt that, you know, what's good for me is probably good for them and vice versa, you know, but the ability to share information between the two sectors doesn't, doesn't currently exist, at least the protections that I, I believe are needed to get us there. Um, I, I really believe, you know, I, I, there's some really great vendors that I've, that I've had the opportunity to work with which are true partners in the space where they'll literally stick their necks out there to, to, because they, they, they're doing the right things for the right reasons. That's unfortunate that they have to do it that way. Um, we should have the ability to do that level of sharing and, and partnership, you know, without the, you know, all a bunch of legalese and, and lawyers involved. Nothing against lawyers, but, you know, you know, we all know what that means. <laughs> the second thing I'd like to see um, is, is the actual role of Chief Information Security Officer codified in law. Um, you know, it has, it hasn't been a problem at CIS, but it has been problems in, in other federal agencies where because the CISO is defined by its relationship to the CIO um, and the CIO gets to decide the role and responsibilities and, and sort of the operational breadth of the CISO, um, that causes a number of problems. And, and you see that, especially when we're pushing forward an initiative like Zero Trust, where from on my side of the house, for example, I own identity. I own a lot of the things from that, that, that are within the Zero Trust realm of possibilities that make it much easier for me to do things. Whereas some of my, my counterparts and other agencies don't have that ability because their CIO defines the system in a very different way. It, it could be a very policy-driven job, you know, and, and running that and putting that into law. Now, the one caveat I would hear, place here is I never want to see the CISO become the auditor of CIO. It's that partnership has to remain. It is the most critical partnership in all IT, in my view. Um, balancing the, the needs of the business and the need and the risks risks of doing business, um, I think have to be maintained. You have to have that partnership. So I don't want to see that broken up. I don't want to have it separated and and going our own way. But at the same time, giving distinct legal authority to CISOs, I think, is going to add value. And and then the kind of in addition to that, and going back to my original point about the partnership between industry and the public sector. Um, is actually you know putting out there some looser level requirements for industry to have CISO like roles, like a counterpart that when I have a problem, I know exactly who I need to talk to within that company. Mm. Um, I don't want to tell the company how to operate, but at the same time, if if they define a, a job and not, actually most of them are further ahead than than us in this respect anyway, if I have a counterpart, they already know who I can operate because they already are responsible for in that company the same things that I am responsible for. It's going to further that partnership even for even more so. Yeah. So interesting really dynamic like and uh, interesting sort of uh, uh, ask slash prediction, I'll call it there, and uh, and very oh, much in line with uh, where the yeah, and very much in line with where the private sector has gone. Right, you oftentimes see uh, the the CISO uh, in a different type of reporting uh, relationship than the uh, configuration that you have in the uh, in the federal service. Uh, well, we're going to have to wrap it up, and I want to say I really appreciate. Um, all the time and thank the guests for taking their time out of their schedules to help us impart this wisdom on our community. I'd like to thank the good folks here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. I'd like to thank our sponsors for supporting us on this show. And most of all, I'd like to thank you that tune in every single month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network.
Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. 